welcome to episode 11 of Fun to Brooklyn. Today we are chatting with a journalist who is based in London. Her name is Molly Dong, and she writes about technology, women's rights, and the Chinese diaspora. Before we dive into our conversation with Molly, um, Taiwei, I wanted to check in with you to see how your family is since currently I know there's been a lot of lockdowns in China due to COVID. Personally, like my parents are in Shanghai and they're actually locked down in two, in two separate places. So I wanted to check in on you to see how things were going. Oh, thank you, Lucia. My family are actually in Hubei right now, where COVID originally started. And I think it's still like pretty chill there. But I do have an aunt and uncle currently in Shanghai, and they are also in the lockdown. They reported back and say um, the, the vegetables are so expensive for mobile orders. And this is something a lot of people are experiencing, as we know, although most countries are going for coexisting with the Omicron variant right now, China is still doing this hardline zero tolerance thing. And that has led to a lot of controversy, disagreements, and just a lot of people isolated from each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's funny is my mom was sharing me these like memes that were going around Shanghai, just like kind of making fun of the situation. Cause like, I think Shanghainese people are like, okay, well, what are we going to do? We can't really protest against this. So there, there's like all these like funny memes that are passing around China or like Shanghai. And one of them is they all get like their little COVID tester, right? And so it kind of looks like a pregnancy test. So it's like, if it's one line, you're negative. If it's two lines, you're positive. And so like her friends would like take the test and they're like, they're like, not pregnant. <laughs> and then, and then they'll be like, oh, it's because we had, we used a lot of protection. <laughs> right, right. Because the self-testing kit is still are uh, relatively new, just got introduced to Chinese people. So um, yeah. I've seen like people, experts introducing how to use it. They're like, oh, it's just like the pregnancy test. Um, and I find that funny. And like another favorite meme thing I'm enjoying is people making fun of Shanghainese, right? Because Shanghai people are considered to be the most bougie, posh, and uh, westernized group yes. in China. Yes. Yes, it's true. It's <laughs> all you? of it is true. We we don't like people who are like not from Shanghai. We call them we call them white theater, like right, outsiders. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I see like memes about like Shanghainese people, even like quarantine at home, they have to drink coffee every day. And like they they have that delivered to their home. So like <laughs> that doesn't happen anywhere else in China. That is so funny. And I would not put it past Shanghainese people because they totally are like that. I yeah. hope like all the, I've seen a lot of like mutual aid requests on Weibo of like elderly people that needs their like chemos or some certain physical therapy that they're getting and they are not allowed to go out because of the very like strictly executed and enforced quarantine policies. So I do hope all these people can get the help they need and everyone in Shanghai stays safe and healthy. Very serious highway. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I think that's like mostly what's going on right now in the world. Besides another thing that we're actually talking to Mulyu about later on in this conversation, which is around the conflict in Ukraine. And we talk largely around how 
netizens from both countries are really facing this sort of crisis and what we can sort of do to cut through a lot of the noise that's online to really understand what's happening on the grounds. And if you have any questions that you want to email us, we're at b2b at 1990institute.org. Be sure to follow us on Instagram or uh, Twitter. We're at Bun to Brooklyn. So without further ado, here is Mong Yu. All right, on to the episode. Today, we're with Meng Yudong, a journalist based in London, to discuss the Chinese social media's reaction and uh, response to the Russia-Ukraine um, war. And Meng Yu, can you introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, my name is Meng Yu, and it's my uh, first time on this podcast, Bound to Brooklyn. And it's really nice to virtually meet uh, all of you here. It's great to meet you, too. I think we're going to start off with a quick intro of what it's like the landscape is, because we've definitely been seeing a lot of buzz around Ukraine and all the social media we're seeing in both like the U.S. and Chinese contacts, because we all know like Chinese government is taking uh, a vaguely ambiguous stance that is more pro-Russia. And although they haven't like officially denounced what the U.S. and NATO is doing, the China stance has like, of course, triggered a lot of Western backlash, even some like rumored sanctions on Chinese business. So, Meng Yu, can you introduce this landscape a little bit and tell us more about it? Uh, yeah, sure. Like in, in other countries, I think the response from Chinese internet towards uh, the war in Ukraine has been really complicated. On the one hand, we, we see like there are a lot of pro-Putin, pro-Russia voices from uh, Weibo and WeChat and also, of course, other social media. But at the same time, there are also very sympathetic voices towards Ukraine. Um, the difference is that, of course, discussion on Chinese Internet is controlled in the, in the sense that some voices are given more weights than others. And uh, like, for example, there, there are many pro-Ukraine voices that were censored, especially in the early days of the war, whereas the pro-Russia voices are allowed to remain online. So in, in a way that I think uh, in general, people feel like a lot of the uh, sentiment from Chinese internet has been very one-sidedly pro-Russia, but like in reality, we see that there are actually voices from both sides. Mm -hmm. uh, personally, I've observed that a lot of the, the pro-Ukrainian voices, especially from like the first week or two since the war started, they have a hard time sticking on Chinese social media because the posts got taken down by censors or in, in other ways limited from being able to reach a wider audience. So I personally started a, a Twitter thread documenting some of the posts that I, I noticed on Chinese internet that are pro-Ukraine and are either later taken down or met with other types of censorship techniques that restricts it from being able to reach a wider audience. And some, some of them are written by Chinese people, diaspora, who are living in Ukraine. And others are just from self-identified bloggers that are more sympathetic to like the Ukrainian people. And we did notice that a lot of these like anti-war uh, voices and videos, uh, it's really hard to survive on, on Chinese social media platforms. Mm -hmm. And um, hey, Mongi, sorry, I wanted to interject with a 
question around like the themes around anti-war, like when you talked about people making videos or commenting around pro-Ukraine sentiments, like what was sort of the sentiment? Like, I guess just help me understand from an American perspective who doesn't like truly see a lot of the other side of like pro-Russia, like to just help understand like the pro-Ukraine sentiments. Yeah, sure. I mean, there are, I I would say, um, roughly three categories of, of these messages. The first one are like um, news reporting about like anti-war protests in Russia. Earlier, there were there were uh, videos that showed uh, large scale anti-war protests that happened in St. Petersburg on different platforms across Chinese social media. And that video got taken down pretty quickly after, like, I think, generating thousands of views on, on Chinese Internet. So that's one category. And the second category is like, like you mentioned, the people were saying, denouncing the war from the angle that how hurt the innocent people of Ukraine. That's the second category. And the third category would be like translations of like anti-war messages and open letters from uh, Russian into Chinese. And, and I think there, there was this uh, joint letter that were signed by thousands of uh, Russian scientists that were first circulating on Russian internet before being translated and reposted on some of the WeChat blogs and uh, Weibo accounts. And that one got taken down uh, very fast. Um, why do you think, I guess, the like takedown of those particular posts? Yeah, I think that like I, it's, it's quite interesting. I think the first category where there are videos showing anti-war protests, especially in Russia, and, and as we know that it's discouraged in, in China to voice your political dissent on the street. So I would say that it's it's possible that the government doesn't want to encourage people to do that. And in fact, that we actually see in some instances, there are anti-war protesters in China who took it to the street. And that happens, I think, in Chongqing and in Hangzhou. So that's something, obviously, that's not encouraged by the government. So the first sense, the first category, it's is like a, a really tricky and sensitive um, yeah, and I think it, in in general, like especially in the in the early days, I feel like the the government or the censors are trying to steer the discourse towards uh, one direction, which would be contradictory if they show there are anti-war voices in Russia as well. Yeah, got it. And like, what sort of general direction are you sort of seeing in like Chinese media? Because I think we opened up this particular discussion saying that China hasn't been like explicitly like will send troops to help Russia, right? Like they're not like that supportive, but they're also kind of like, yeah, we'll stand behind Russia or like, will we support Russia as allies, right? Or like buddies. So like, just help me understand, I guess, what the um, sentiment is from like a media and government perspective. Yeah, I would say that in general, uh, the reports we see from the state official media, they're not shying away from the, the like the casualty of the war or the the sufferings of the innocent civilians. But uh, at the same time, personally, I feel like they are trying to assign blame to the NATO and the U.S. in a way that they're explaining this war as a result of the Russian response to the NATO expansion. They're trying to, the discussion has been framed from this angle. 
Yeah, I agree. So like what I'm hearing is that like what is not allowed to spread on social media is not like sympathy for Ukraine and like people in Ukraine per se, but like the the attempt to attach like the, the casualty in the war with like Russia or like Russia committing a crime against the innocent civilians, right? So Meng Yu has like a really good Twitter thread documenting the, the posts and articles that are spreading on Chinese social media that got taken down in the first or two days of the discussion. And we will link that in the description. Yeah, thanks, Taiwei. And I, I think I, I, I agree with you that the online discussion has a, a lot of the posts that if you just express sympathy for Ukrainian civilians per se, that likely would not trigger censorship. But at the same time, I feel like on a more general level, the government has been trying to frame the discussion in a way that would blame the war as a result of NATO expansion. We're seeing like responses from the Chinese foreign ministry, for example, saying that, look, this is what happens when you corner a big country like Russia. So that they're, in a way, I think they're trying to find an, like a, almost like an excuse for Russia, like saying that they have their there have no other choice but to to start this war, basically. And how are you, I guess, seeing the news that is in America, right? Like since you're here in the States right now, and then Taiwan, you're you also live in the States, like viewing the media here and comparing it to the media in China, like how does that sort of compare? Yeah, I think in not just the present estates, but like English language media in general has been overwhelmingly sympathetic towards Ukraine. So that's something that in stark contrast to what we're seeing in many Chinese language well, of media. Of course, I mean, we're a NATO media. country, right? Like we yeah. fund like more than half of NATO. I definitely see that contrast too. It's pretty drastic how like a average person or like the like mainstream media are portraying the same war happening at the same time what i'm seeing that is unfortunate is that actually like the two countries are doing a very similar thing is to kind of like villainize your opponent and i'm seeing that this like two camps start to form a cold war like confrontation between like the nato the the so-called west and china so, and that is something, uh, like, that is something not just Chinese state media, Chinese censors, uh, and also Western media are somehow encouraging that I find not helpful, right? I think, like, a week or so ago, we see Liu Xing, the state media CGTN's anchor. She posted a Twitter, something like, a friend's. I think it was something like, help us fight your friends so we can focus on yeah. fighting you later, something like that. Yeah, something like that, basically implying the enemy of your enemy is your friend, right? right. It's a yeah. it's a really popular Chinese saying, right? Like if you if you ever watch like the old like I don't know stratagems like since it being fought <laughs> or like yeah. the art of war or Sanguoyi, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, like they're all they like consistently talk about this type of strategy, which is like the right? like the enemy of your enemies is your friend. But like, I hear you guys in terms of like, right now, to me, what it sounds like is in China, right? There are people who sympathize with the fact that like people are dying in Ukraine, right? Like that's just, I think, bottom line bad. 
And people are like, they think that like Russia was probably like pushed into a corner, which I think probably has some factual truth to that. Right. And then in the, in the States, the media is really saying, no, like, you know, Russia is this like hairy beast that like needs to be tamed. And like, we need to control everything that's happening. And like China is trying to ally with them and there are enemies too. So like, what would be more helpful (laughs) in terms of like these two very disparate ways of thinking? And like, as part of this podcast, like the whole point was to like, be able to bridge cultures and like help people understand each other. And I think this like blaming each other or I think not thinking about it from their angle, like what would be more helpful to like have parties to understand? Like if someone who is listening to this podcast, like they're inundated with this American media where they're like, I stand with Ukraine, like anti-Russia, anti-China, like what can that type of person do? And like, what's kind of conducive for them to understand like both cultures or like what's, What can somebody who's like kind of in the middle, like all of us, right? Like I was born in China, then I live in the States, like her Chinese American can like help bridge this like great divide. Whoa, these are big, big questions. I do think I personally have seen a lot of powerful moves and initiatives started by people targeted at other people. So like when we're thinking from a geopolitical level, especially like what Chinese censors are doing more and more, just to kind of like force people to think in a binary, right? To side with either NATO or China. And you are not even allowed to voice any support uh, for even the civilians because like alluding to the so-called universal value is against like the, the friend-enemy binary that like the state propaganda is trying to promote. I actually do see a lot of like powerful personal messages on Weibo also. So when when like the war first started, I saw Chinese immigrants and Chinese people living in the entire Europe just started a threat of their their extra room, their spare room, and their capacity of accommodating one or two potential Chinese people that are living or studying in Ukraine that potentially needs to like leave the country. Mm -hmm. And that is like very powerful. I saw hundreds of comments under that one threat. People offering up their basement, people saying, oh, my daughter is off to college. And if you are a Chinese student studying in Ukraine, you can come to my home in France and contact me. So those like mutual aid, I think like really made me see kind of like the the very moving power like of social media. This also like made me think of this um, study did by um, Jennifer Penn. She's a political science researcher at Stanford. She famously has an academic journal saying like the purpose of Chinese censors were not like, they, they were not targeted at criticism of the government. That is like contrary to popular belief, not their priority. But what they're trying to suppress the most is actually collective action and sympathy and like the common human emotions is like one of the most powerful things to unite people and get people on the street, right? As like Monia has stated. So maybe that's also why like those comments are getting censored. And one of the main effects of the censorship and like the content takedown 
is like to discourage and to demotivate people who actually are anti-war and sympathetic to Ukraine, the country and its people to stop talking at least like blatantly on social media, right? And I think like that definitely prompted them to to express their sentiment and their support for Ukraine in a more subtle and skillful way. There's like these two factions of people, right? Like it's very extreme on social media. And we all know that the internet doesn't like reflect real life, right? Like on the internet, you see all this like fake outrage over different things. And like, there's so much noise around both sides. Right. And like, how can you cut through the clutter or how can you like help bridge gaps to people so that they understand on a more human level, what is actually happening on the grounds? And like Taiwei mentioned that on the grounds, like people are caring for people in Ukraine, like the, you know, Chinese diaspora are like out there saying, Hey, you can like, you can live for free or like, we'll, we'll accept refugees, et cetera. Like on the grounds, it seems like Chinese people are sympathetic towards like Ukrainian civilians, right? And then here in like the US, I don't truly know the sentiment of like most people. I feel like it's a bit more homogenous here in America where everybody's just like no pro pro uh, NATO like fight Russia, right? So it's like how do you bring these like groups of people together or how do you bring people who are like stuck in the middle who are kind of like, well, I'm Chinese, but I live in the states and I don't know if like there's a place that I want to support. I know I feel like personally, like war is bad, but at the same time, like there must be other geopolitical things that are going on. Like what's a helpful resource or like what can help bridge those two ways of thinking? Yeah, I think I I saw some discussions online, um, especially right after the outbreak of the war from people, Chinese people or Asian people living in America. And they're saying that, will this war and will like China's standing in the war further like in a way complicates like Asian American lives in America or w- would it um, add to uh, existing anti-Asian hate in the States? Because like many of us have had the experience of having to self-identify um, and come forward with our like political beliefs or, or being asked by random people, like what we think of like a, this, a, a policy made by the Chinese government. And we have to respond in a way that aligns with their ideology, like to be able to have a right to exist. And I think that, that that's a legitimate concern. And personally, I feel like, like you said, the online sentiment in both China and America, that, that not necessarily can reflect what's going on on the street or in, in people's, like the, the general uh, the population's mind. So uh, I, I feel like those people who are anti-war or pro pro-Russia or, or pro-Ukraine on the internet, on their social media, they might not be as extreme when they're living their daily lives. Um, and on the other hand, I think it is helpful to, to know like how to separate uh, individual pe- person's beliefs from the actions uh, taken by their government, especially in the case of China, when many of the decision-making power is concentrated um, in like, the, the hands of like a, a handful of, of of government leaders, I think it would be very unfair to say that hey, let take a look uh, at the Chinese government's response to the war, and then make assumption about an, an average Chinese person. 
I think that's something that to, to keep in mind, especially for people who are living in Western countries and who have the privilege to access quality information, that not, not everyone lives in that environment. And not everyone is capable of influencing their, their government's decision, but that doesn't mean that they agree with it. And in fact, that we see that people are speaking out against it and they're taking a personal risk in doing so. Yeah, that's a really important point that you mentioned, Malia, because I think a lot of Americans probably don't understand that, right? Like, I think growing up in a place where freedom of speech is like your First Amendment right, right? Like the fact that like you're able to say whatever is on your mind and like take to the streets if you're not happy about something, right? Like that's so American that it's like, oh, you're not happy about something? Start a protest. <laughs> like it's something that they teach you in grade school. And I think the the cultural shift and like not understanding why people in China can't do the same thing or that they can't stand up towards their government or can't speak out is like probably mind boggling for them. And I think that's where there's like an inherent disconnect in, in cultures and the way that people like sort of understand each other. And I think that breakage in culture really hurts both yeah, sides. I definitely think people sometimes have a trouble remembering that individuals, no individual should bear the responsibility or like the decision of their government on their shoulder. So I think definitely keep that in mind. And I definitely see a lot of creative solutions by Chinese individuals, even at like the heavily censored uh, internet reality still attempted to show their support in a creative and non-conventional subtle way. So I also saw this on Twitter, the most popular item on Taobao, the, the most popular Chinese shopping website is like the, the pen that you can put on your back and your the beige of like Ukraine flag. That is the number one most popular item on the entire website last week. So I find that interesting because you cannot censor this, this like certain, you cannot censor the online shops, right? You cannot tell them to stop selling something that you're already, that they're already making. So also another thing I'm seeing is people started to organize and they make like appointments and requests on Airbnb for local Ukrainian Airbnb hosts. So they will just book the room and not go as like a way to support the local business and individuals. I find that creative. And like, I think that give us a look into like how these digital platforms, how these internet companies has like hyper connected us, has like magnified the, the extreme sentiments and comments. But like when you look at Twitter or Weibo, what you see is always like the most extreme, the most hateful comments, right? The, the most zealous people. But like when you actually go on the shopping platforms or the travel room sharing platform, you can see like the actual mass, the civilians showing up and trying to support. Yeah. And speaking of this creativity, I think I also saw and uh, a story by um, uh, a platform on, on WeChat. I forgot the name of the blog, but uh, they they curated a list of tech companies that were founded in Ukraine. And among them was this like this uh, company that I'm sure like all of us have seen their ads on YouTube. It's called Grammarly. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and the, I don't know. Yeah, Pamela and, and the, the Ukrainian. The yeah, exactly. I didn't. Know I didn't that either. either. And like, well, there I were guess like Ukrainians have comments. better grammar than Americans. <laughs> <laughs> there were also like tons of comments um, down below that story, saying exactly the same thing. Oh, I didn't know like this company or that company is from Ukraine. I think that's also a way of of making this whole abstract idea of like geopolitical conflict in a more personally relatable way. And obviously the fact that the author has chosen to to write a story about companies founded in Ukraine that that tells you in a way that the which side the author is taking. So yeah, and there are like all kinds of creative way to get past censorship and express your your belief on the Chinese internet. It's just that censorship has made it um, dif- more difficult for a layman to find those voices. So it might give off an appearance that the opinions on Chinese internet is all uniform, which in reality is not the case. Yeah, definitely. I think self-censorship, right, as you have mentioned, is like definitely plays into what people can see. And just because like the appearance has been like this uniform, I, I mean, we do see a lot of hateful or like even Nazi adjacent comments that's fueled like in the nationalism uh sentiment but um definitely like if we looked further and deeper into the creative and subtle ways chinese netizens are expressing what they're thinking is definitely like more uh, diverse and more people than people expect it are probably like having their own opinions about things and uh, doing what they can to make other people in different corners of the world to feel better and i think that's pretty much the discussion today and Mongyu, if our listeners want to read more of your work and try to follow you, where can they find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter. Mongyu, how do we find you on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my Twitter handle is dong underscore Mongyu, which is the, like the spelling of my name. Cool, we'll include that in the show notes. Yeah, it's been great talking with you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Enjoy the discussion.